0: The Arena Football Hall of Fame has returned, and we want you to become a part of the family. Introducing the Arena Football Hall of Fame Patreon. Whether an all-star or a Hall of Famer, our reasonably priced tiers each have their own exclusive perks. Early access to the AFL Rewind podcast, honoring selection committee member, and much more. Help us build a Hall of Fame we'll all be proud of. Head to patreon.com slash Fame to join Welcome to AFL Rewind, a look back at all things arena football, sponsored by Phenom Elite. I'm your host, Tim Capper. When you look back at the NFL and what they have done, you know, to become the the juggernaut that they have, um, they wanted to make sure that fans were able to see the, you know, the the highlights and and the game films of the of all the games that occurred in a certain week or during the playoffs or a Super Bowl. And obviously, during that time, NFL films became a huge part of the lexicon that is the NFL today. This episode, we're going to be speaking with a gentleman who was trying to become the Steve Sable of the Arena Football League. He is a director and a filmmaker that produced a, a series of uh, mini documentaries that highlighted not necessarily the game itself, but also the different stories that were out there in the AFL. We're going to be finding out his motivation for the series and what it was like to be a fan covering the Arena Football League. We're going to be speaking with Ben Fraternalli. On this episode of the podcast, uh, we're going to be speaking with a guy uh, you I'm sure you know if you happen to listen to the last couple seasons of the uh, AFL Tonight podcast. Um, This gentleman probably would have been known as the Steve Sable of the Arena Football League uh, considering how much wow considering how much footage he took of the afl uh, the different uh, documentaries that he put together um uh, but we want to find out about that and more obviously about this gentleman with us we are talking to ben fraternally hey ben thanks for joining us man
1: Timmy boy, it is great to be back on the mic with you. It's almost like we're in the same room, even though we never have been recording. <laughs> You're it's right. just like a little family reunion.
0: Yeah, exactly. Just just missing uh, our uh, our other member, John.
1: Yeah, John. Uh, you know, he's he, we're in his thoughts, I'm sure, and exactly. his heart always.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um. Obviously, this episode is about you, my friend, because you, as I said, and I don't. know What? Let me ask you that question. This question, though. What? What do you? how does it make you feel when somebody says to you that you're the Steve sale of the AFL?
1: It is literally everything I could have ever hoped someone to say. And like the first time people started like saying that sort of casually, I was like, Oh my God, this is like exactly the direction I want people's minds to be when they look at this stuff. Because the mission uh, initially was I'm not just creating like highlight tapes, right? I'm not just creating reels of AFL footage. I'm making films. And so the reason NFL Films grew to such a rich popularity in history was because of its texture and its content and its uh, personal nature and all of those things that I was trying to sort of inject into 50-yard dash. So it basically means everything because from the jump, that's exactly what I wanted. Yeah.
0: Now, uh, we, before we talk about 50-yard dash, et cetera, and, and how it expanded and grew uh, in the short amount of time that you did it, um, what was your – First of all, what was your history when it came to the arena football because I mean, dude, I've known you for years. I mean, <laughs> even when you were a little tyke, we didn't know, you know, we weren't really we knew each other but we didn't know each other that sort of thing. But how did how did your fandom with arena football get started?
1: Yeah, so I it was one of those things where I I, I mean, I was very little. I mean, uh, I think I was 9 maybe um when I saw my first AFL game on TV, it was one of those things, I just flipped the channel, saw it, I thought, what am I looking at right mm-hmm. now? This is just, I mean, that's what I think what a lot of people experience when they first see the AFL, it was like, what is this? I have to keep looking at this, and and it was the Dallas Desperados were on, and I was like, is this some sort of variant of the Dallas Cowboys? <laughs> I just, I, it just piqued my interest right away, yeah. I just got right into it, and I think within a couple of weeks, I was at my first New York Dragons game, which was my local team at the time, and... I'm I'm a kind of person who just keeps diving deeper and deeper, like you, Tim. With our passions, mm-hmm. you take something that you're passionate about and you just keep digging. And I was like that all my life. So at nine years old, you know, I'm I'm making little cards that the players can sign. I'm designing them in like Photoshop CS1 or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> uh, um, uh, I created a website, yes. Arena Pulse, mm-hmm. and I uh, was basically lying about my age and recruiting uh, AFL writers to come write articles for the site. They thought I was some 40-year-old guy. I was just like a little kid at his keyboard. Um, And so I started just getting into the media aspect of the AFL and making a podcast before, you know, we really called them podcasts. They were just like audio shows. Mm -hmm. And then I was making video shows where I was interviewing players. And so I was getting really close to the game, like beyond just being a fan. And the New York Dragons... Much to their credit, despite the fact that I was just some kid, probably when I was 16 years old, were like, hey, do you want to be like our official like media spokesperson fan guy? Like a guy that we just like have at all our events, uh, comes to the games, records whatever he wants, makes the content that he wants. And so that was like such a door opener for me because I'm like, oh, damn, okay, I could really do this. And um, then the Dragons and the AFL... Hit a ma- major wall. This is a full history, but we're doing it right now. Yep. Um, <laughs> and uh, they went away. And so the Albany Firebirds were all we had a two hour drive, the upstart Albany Firebirds of the AF2. Ah, but correct. Rebranded you. Albany The Fire. Conquest. Yeah. The Conquest. Yeah. The Conquest. Formerly of the Conquest, now the Firebirds for one season. Yep. And so the Firebirds were as open or more than the Dragons. They were like, okay, we're going to put your stuff on our website. We're going to. Feature you give you whatever access you want. So I was in the locker room. I was in post game wow. every game. My parents were driving me up there. Like, you know, they, I, I much credit to them because they were like totally game for this, driving me two hours to friggin AF two games. And uh, my friend Jeff Friedlander, who was holding the camera, and so we were interviewing you know Christian Wise, Alvin mm-hmm. Ray Jackson, Clint Dozelle, like anyone who was in that AF two period right before that kind of became the AFL again. <laughs> So it was like such great exposure. And then I went to college and it took me a few years to get back into the media of the AFL. But then I finally did with 50R Dash.
0: Now, did at, at any point, did you feel that they were saying, ah, well, this is, you know, you're just a kid. You don't know what you're talking about, that type of thing. or Because it, it seemed like you've had a, a good experience from the get-go.
1: Yeah. The, I mean, honestly, from the team's end of it, it's always been really positive. I'm not exactly sure why that is. I think part of it is like, the AFL was always looking, and team and PR people were always looking for whatever exposure they could get, and teams were very bad at creating their own media. Yeah, You know, this was like pre-YouTube, so it's not like everyone had someone ready to make a YouTube channel for the team and getting great post-game content and stuff. They just didn't have any of it. So they saw a kid who, I don't know, was willing to do it for free, basically, and was like, all right, well, let him do it. <laughs> the only times I really ran into walls were you know security would look at my press pass and be like no way this kid is you know, no way this kid is of age like they literally were like hey, let me see your ID i would show them my my ID and they'd be like this is your father i'm not letting you in you know oh my it was mostly God. security problems and honestly another more credit to the players too because the players took it seriously too and that was actually the most gratifying thing because they they weren't just like, oh, some kid's trying to interview me for his class project. They were giving me honest answers, maybe even being like slightly more open than they would normally because I was just a kid and their guard was down. Mm-hmm. And so I remember you know going to Dragons practices and their tryouts and stuff and Waylon Harding, the coach, was messing around with me because he was like, oh, it's Ben, you know, we'll say anything. I actually did get in, in trouble once because a player texted me that they were sitting out the next week Okay, And I was like oh okay So I'm media this is information I'm going to post it so I posted it On the AFL message boards and the player Called me like right after I did that I guess the team found out or something He's like why'd you do that man Like come on man And so you know there were some lessons to be learned along the way But yeah. I eventually uh, You know curved the craft And everyone everyone treated me throughout the whole process With a lot of respect which I really appreciate In retrospect
0: and you were saying even though that is before YouTube, uh, I think somewhere on, on the uh, dark YouTube web, <laughs> yeah, uh, your interview with Clint DelZille, is there some – I remember where I found it, but it's out there.
1: It is. It and, is.
0: And the one with Christian Wise, I think, is out there too. And a couple of your your shows that you would do.
1: Yeah. There's a bunch of Firebird stuff that's still online. If you, I think you search Firebird's Nest. Yeah. Um, that was what the website was called. And so a bunch of that stuff is still up. But all the Dragon stuff, unfortunately, was pretty much on Google Video, which Uh (laughs) is a defunct video service that predates YouTube. And that was a huge mistake. The only reason I used Google Video is because my high school (laughs) – blocked youtube so i was like hamstrung and i couldn't use youtube at school so i used google video and it screwed me i don't even know how to get most of those videos now i don't know where they are but
0: yeah it's it's like it's like like, you know what we've done recently or what's been done recently on youtube unearthing some of these games that have been seen in such a long long time it's it's a part you know makes you wonder you know is that is that uh interview with clint O'Zale is is that the holy grail of ben fraternally stuff or is it (laughs) You know, it's something else, but um, what, tell me about your experience. Cause now you've told this to me before, and I just said that, you know, that with the, um, with the experiences that you had leading up to when the league folded back in 20, uh, in 2008, um, you actually had the chance to uh, go to the, I guess we could say the relaunching so to speak Of the new york dragons when they changed their branding what what was what was your experience like that? Considering that's leading up to when you're about to find out that the league's about to fold
1: Yeah, that was so surreal. I was in like English class or something and I get this my phone starts ringing and normally I wouldn't do this obviously, but I just walked out of class and it was (laughs) it it was uh, it was like a representative from the dragons And they were like, hey, uh, tomorrow or or in two days we're doing this press conference. We'd like you to be there. And my head was like – started spinning at 360 degrees. And I was like, oh, my god. I called my mom and she was like, yeah, we'll take you. You know, It's one of those things where would you rather be in school learning nothing of value or doing this like major life experience? So we just called out sick, pretended I was sick. And we went to this press conference. And I think about that press conference all the time because – it was such a weird moment, like you said. It was right before the AFL folded, yeah. the way you know the AFL as we know it. So they're unveiling this branding. Uh, they've got Kerry Rhodes there as like part owner of the team. They're, they're talking about all of these things that I wanted them to say. They were saying everything I wanted them to say about how they were going to manage the Dragons, what the AFL was going to be going forward, how positive it was going to be, the merchandising, how on. On it, they were going to be jerseys, shirts, you know, all the all the little things that I really wanted to happen. It looked like they were going to make happen. And, you know, not to mention I was there. They were giving me a shout out. I was interviewing the owners and the coaches and the players. And it was such like a glitzy experience. I was just on a high of high. So for right after that, the league to collapse, that was just I mean, obviously, you know, yeah, that one of the most devastating things I've ever I'd ever experienced to that point in my life. I was so upset and everyone was upset and it felt so hopeless because nobody had any agency. It wasn't like the fans could band together and create a you know, petition dot org and get the league back on board. It was like a unanimous decision that was made behind closed doors. So it was it was really an interesting experience to look back on and something that I will never forget as a kid being able to do that. And uh thank God the AF2 existed for that one year because mm-hmm. that, that was big for me because being able to transition into that.
0: For sure. No, exactly. And, and you know, you have a little bit of time off, uh, you know, as you go through college, stuff like that. You're able to hone your skills a little bit now. It leads it to uh up to, I guess, where you're you're coming out, so to speak, when it comes to your filmmaking. Uh, in this thing that you introduced, which is called uh, you know, your fifty yard dash documentary back in twenty sixteen. What were the, what were your thoughts for this? How did you come up with the idea? And then how did you go about getting, you know, getting all the footage that you needed for this?
1: Yeah, I I was actually at a doctor's appointment for like a leg injury or something and it was just one of those things where I was just kind of out of it and my, my mind was just wandering and I was just thinking about, you know, time I might have off coming forward because, you know, and I, I was just wandering and thinking, oh, what is something I could do like a documentary on? And it just sort of struck me the AFL season was a month away mm-hmm. at that time and I was like let me just look up the rosters like let me let me uh crunch back into this and really sort of find if there's a story anywhere here that's not just like about the league because I didn't want to just do like a league commercial right and I found that Christian Wise who at the time was in training camp with the Philadelphia Soul was going to face off against Alvin Ray Jackson who uh, was on the Jacksonville Sharks. And so both of these guys had been on the Firebirds when I was in the AF2, and this was eight years gone, and a lot of players by that time had retired and stuff, and I was like, wow, what are the odds? These two guys are meeting up. The two guys I was closest with on the Firebirds, and Christian Wise, a guy I was still in touch with pretty regularly, And so I was just thinking, damn, this might be a really interesting narrative to do something about these guys meeting and through that story and through their stories sort of tell the story of the AFL and what it's like to be a player in the AFL. And I texted them like that hour. I was like, I have this idea. I'm attacking. That's like how I do stuff. Yeah. And so they were like, oh, yeah, absolutely, bro. Like, we'll figure it out. And. Immediately I was figuring out the logistics of traveling to Philly and then filming training camp and getting their interviews and go you know booking hotel rooms and it was it was just one of those things where I just went full court press because a big part of me felt like I hadn't I wasn't done yet with with the AFL like covering the AFL and 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 I knew there was still an avenue to explore there that was more um fitting and respectful and cinematic and personal than anything I had done when I was in high school. You know, now I was like an adult man <laughs> yeah, and I was like, <laughs> maybe I could do something now that's better than that. And so that sort of launched 50 yard dash.
0: Um, what was it? Cause uh, you, I mean, you have had a, a bit, you know, a pretty good, pretty big background when it comes to film and stuff like that, because your, your past history, when it comes to commercials and stuff that that's, a to, you know, that's, uh, that's tied to commercials also, whether it be, mm-hmm. Uh, graphics or, or packaging and stuff like that but have you had you ever done something like this before outside because i know you have shot some other films before but this type of of idea when it comes to because tell the people the process because i uh, say like some of the one of the other films that you may have done uh one of your, yeah. your short films that you may have done with the commercials how would you how would you compare it to doing this what at the moment was your uh, a single documentary which got bigger from there, but, uh, how did it it compare? that's
1: That's a great question. I mean, that was, it was a really interesting experience because when you're writing a narrative script and you're going and shooting it, you have so much control over it. And, you know, I was still somewhat early in my career but i had made several films and i had worked on several commercials and so i had a good groundwork for what i was doing but i had never done a long you know long form isn't the right word but longer documentary short that was like almost 20 minutes right i never done anything like that i'd done some short five minute stuff but this required you know somewhat planning in the sense that what are the themes that you want to explore and what do you want what do you hope that these guys say or what do you hope they express and the process of interviewing them and then having to sort of reckon with their perspectives which are obviously always going to be different than whatever you thought you were scripting which is nonsense once you get to it (laughs) Um, you know you can guide an interview all you want as you know but in the end the person is going to dictate sort of what they're willing to say or what emotion they're willing to express and you have to find that through the interview and then you're left with all these pieces and you got to film all this additional material and right. this is like so different than shooting a film which you have a 3 day shoot schedule you get it done blah 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 it's in the can and then you edit this was like going to games going to uh going to training camp going to practices getting multiple interviews you know it was such a different sourcing footage such a different experience and so much more work and but in the end, I think it was a more rewarding experience, not only because I was doing something about a league that I loved so much, but because I feel like I learned so much just doing that. And yeah. I think it made everything I did after that so much better. So you learned, So basically, you learned quite a bit from it then. Because yeah. uh, cause before
0: this, you had shot how many short films before that or commercials before that? Do you remember?
1: Uh, I mean, it was a lot. I would say I probably made like, 10 to 15 films by that point just like short films and then a bunch of commercial work but it but it was not anything on this scale or this amount of material and I did learn so much from it and I think something that I really hold dear to me is that everything I did around the AFL taught me a lot yeah it was you know whether it was web design when I was first making that website, podcasting when I was learning how to, you know, make audio shows, whether it was the video shows, doing those first video shows for the AFL, uh, completely taught me how to do it. I, you know, whether it was design with the cards that I was making for the players to sign, all these skills that I learned that ultimately led me to a career in directing and editing basically started with the AFL, which is crazy, but. It's it's so awesome because it's something that will never be taken away that I grew through the league like that.
0: Yeah. How much total time? Because I don't think I've ever asked you this question. How much was the total time editing for the original documentary?
1: It's a great question. I would say, I mean, it, it was a, at least a couple months. Um, you know, it's hard to put hours or anything on that, yeah. but it was at least once a day I was putting in serious work on it. And every little piece takes so long, especially there was animated sequences and Mm -hmm. audio editing and sound mixing and color correction. You're doing all this stuff yourself. Obviously, I wasn't like hiring a post-production crew to help me. So the intricacies of all of that also just helped me develop that workflow. And after that, not that the other documentaries going forward were as sort of complex as that one, but I feel like my workflow got much better because of what I learned through editing that one.
0: What was your reaction? Because I remember, you know, you and I've been talking and, and about when we've been teasing, you had been teasing it and stuff like that. Um, what was your initial reaction? Not necessarily from the fans itself, but 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 from the league and from the players um, uh, when the original documentary came out.
1: It was really really gratifying. I mean, I think the reaction to Fifty R Dash, the original, was what made me want to keep doing it like the, the the original concept of 50 yard dash wasn't really to do a series it was like i'm going to do this short documentary maybe this is a jumping off point to doing a feature one day but at the very least i want to do this one unit of thing <laughs> i'm yeah. just doing this one thing and so everyone's really warm reaction to it and the the fact that it successfully represented the story of being a player in the afl for so many players meant so much to me that i felt like wow i just gotta i gotta keep going like i can't just stop here and the other thing to to your question about the league's reaction that was really interesting because i i felt like i was doing something kind of cheeky like i released this i didn't tell anyone in the league the only team i mean the jacksonville sharks and the philadelphia soul knew what i was doing obviously but the league didn't really know so I didn't know what their reaction was going to be. There was some, there's you know, copyrighted stuff in that documentary. I didn't necessarily think they were going to, like, sue me or something. But there was certainly a question about that. And at first, I didn't hear much from them. I just heard sort of through the grapevine that people were digging it. But the other thing I was a little bit wary about was there's some stuff in the documentary that's pretty negative. I mean, there's stuff that's about you know people being separated from their families yeah. that's not the afl's fault but what might be the afl's fault was pay being really low yeah. having it be very difficult to live a healthy and safe life and have a family on the salary of an afl player let alone someone who's injured or in practice squad or something like that um, and so it was very revealing and at times very serious and sort of a dissection of what it's like to be an athlete in this league in both positive and negative light so At the time, um, I wasn't really sure. A few uh, months later, after I was sort of inspired to start doing more videos, the leak did contact me. And I was very excited because, like, oh, my God, someone's finally reaching out. And this guy was, like, asking me about it. And it was really – it was a nice conversation. You know, it was going really well. And then he sort of, like, hinted that he was actually kind of a lawyer. And he was like, oh kind god. of, picked my brain about like, you know, what legal stuff that I had prepared, and and I was like, oh my god, of course. And and you think of the administration of the AFL in 2016, it wasn't like the best of the best, no. uh, in terms of what we ultimately had, which was something a little bit more tightened up and professional. So I don't think the league reacted super well initially, but down the road, thankfully, it all paid off.
0: And I think. Th- you know uh, this goes to in my opinion, where the league basically had a was given a gift horse you know they're given basically given something a total gift to them, and they did not react, they didn't do anything with it, considering that they are getting positive press. Documentaries are not always positive right but they are getting positive press. it's something that's made about the a f l this is something that had not been done since 2000 when, you know, a, you know, a day in the life of arena football or whatever right. it was called was done on TNN back in, back in 2000.
1: So yeah, it was crazy. And, and, I, and it's a different league, completely different league. Right,
0: right, right. So I, I, you know, it, and to me as a, you know, talking to you as being the filmmaker who did this, and then again, referencing you as being the Steve Sable of the AFL, it it, it it makes you wonder the story that Sable may have gone through at the very beginning also when he started. But mind you, times are different, right? Times are yeah. completely different.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, the, the story of NFL Films was they bought their way in, basically. Yeah. I mean, they purchased the ability to film the NFL, and so they sort of got the NFL like that. I thought my strategy— obviously it wouldn't be to do that. It would be to put something in front of them that they can't ignore. I, I really wanted to show them something that they couldn't just twiddle their thumbs and never acknowledge, like something that's powerful, something that is so different and something that is really high value to them. Yeah. And ultimately, even, I mean, actually toward the end of the first season, thankfully, uh, the league did actually start adding the films to their website, which I did appreciate. I thought that was like, great. I mean, obviously they didn't pay me anything at the time, but, uh, I liked that the league was finally like acknowledging it officially uploading them to their TV service and ultimately their app. And so that was like a holdover for me until later when I had much better relations with them. But the teams were always like super in on it. Like that was the best part. It was like the Philadelphia soul were promoting the videos, posting the videos. Uh, I've covered the soul a lot in 2016 and 2017. So they were posting stuff like crazy. The people who worked for the teams were really nice to me at all times. So that and the players reaction were sort of the fulfillment that I needed at the time.
0: And and it's funny you say that because I think anybody who knows the league as well as, as we do knows that in the later years, that was kind of the case with the AFL where, yeah. you know, again, as I said, there, there, there was a gift given to them. They didn't do anything with it. And, you know the yeah. teams were always supportive whether you were a a small website covering the league or whether you were as i said yourself being a filmmaker the teams were always love this it's like they were totally running independently than, the, it, league, yeah, than absolutely. the league office
1: themselves there was no unified philosophy and the teams were operating as kind of small businesses in a way like mm-hmm. If if someone shows you a commercial that they made for your small business, you're going to be like, "Oh my god, thank you! This would have cost ten thousand to you know, two hundred thousand dollars to make." Yeah. So thank you for doing that. I'm going to share it, and I'm going to like give you merchandise or whatever, and acknowledge you. And the league was just not like that. There were this like weird, uh, especially at that time, this like weird Las Vegas office thing where like no one really knew if they were actually there, and. It felt like no one had a true personal connection to the commissioner, um, and so it was a weird time, but we did get out of that period, which we I'm did. thankful for. Yeah we did <laughs> now
0: from from there, you, you obviously you had your game films also, which I think started right after yeah. the success of, of the original documentary. Um, did, were you, Were you disappointed that you were just doing game film? Uh, before you started your new series uh, of, of mini docs uh, or it, it, were you just biding your time looking at different things that you could do while you were doing the, the, the game film?
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly what it was. I, so the game films, for those who haven't seen them are sort of uh, cinematic recaps of the games in a way. It's sort of a highlight reel, but done, you know, in slow motion, Epic shots, all that stuff, mm-hmm. big music, uh, announcer audio. It, it's a, clean edited thing, but it doesn't have significance to it really beyond that. Uh, The the, the times when I really liked those were if I was covering an arena bowl or a playoff game, because that is like a very significant thing that's happening to cover. So like I felt that was warranted doing a game film. But like you said, while I was doing that, which I did through the end of 2016, because I was trying to create supporting content for the documentary and sort of keep people – interested in 50 yard dash, uh, I was thinking, I was thinking, well, what can I do next? What is the next narrative doc piece basically? And so I, I went in sort of two directions. The first thing I did was the kicker, which was a four part documentary short series about kickers in the AFL, which, which in retrospect, to be honest, I'm not sure if that was the right thing to do. I I don't think that that, like, I think that was like a niche of a niche, (laughs) <laughs> in a way like it wasn't like it's not like anyone was really asking what's like the life of a kicker in the afl so i was sort of answering a question that nobody was asking and so i acknowledge that in retrospect but thankfully i did move on i mean as much i do like that series and i love the guys that i interviewed but i saying so yeah I, my brain just started going bigger with it and what could i do next and so i did expand into this 50 yard shorts series yeah and that was more in line with the original 50 r dash thing, which is you got interviews, you're, trying, you're telling an individual story or the story of a group of guys. And that was where I knew that the power of 50 r dash really was. It was actually telling, like, full stories, getting those things on film and doing something that, doing something that the league had never had, like we were saying. And that, I think, just doing that that's when i blew the doors open in a sense like that's when i felt like i completely was in and the league and the teams were like totally in on it and i mean the empire state which was the first one i released yeah is to this day i think one of the most important things that i've ever done for my like personal life because it was about albany it was about a team that you know sort of a team that i had been working for yeah. when i was you know, 16, 17 years old, and that connection all coming back around with their first game. And it was it was all there. Like it was so there. And there's there's not always tons of dramatic stories like that in the AFL where the stakes aren't as high necessarily as the NFL. And so that story to me epitomizes what I could do. And from there, I I I kept jumping on it. The Arena Football Hall of Fame has returned,
0: and we want you to become a part of the family. Introducing the Arena Football Hall of Fame Patreon. Whether an all-star or a Hall of Famer, our reasonably priced tiers each have their own exclusive perks. Early access to the AFL Rewind podcast, honoring selection committee member, and much more. Help us build a Hall of Fame we'll all be proud of. Head to patreon.com slash Fame to join what, uh, why do you, why are you, and, I, and I mean, you're not really um, talking bad about it, but to you, why do you think that the kicker series does not stand up to, or is, as, as you don't hold it as high on the pedestal as you do the 50-yard short series? I mean, they, they, they're very similar in a way. They are still telling a story. Yeah, do, they're do you actually fe- very do, similar. I mean, do you feel that you should have gone with not necessarily just kickers,
1: but other
0: players type of players like one of the head coaches
1: yeah i i wonder if like you're saying like if i did head coaches and that was like a set of stories or i did the quarterbacks a set of stories yeah i just don't know i mean i think the kicker would have been an interesting episode but I, i by the time i was editing the fourth episode i was like i feel like i already told this story that was the issue with it okay is that it was four episodes where guys were sort of echoing each other. And there was something I really liked about that, actually. I I liked that the four episodes of The Kicker intertwined with each other a lot. Yes, yes. Like, that's really cool. Like, that's something I always wanted to do, was, like, you've got players referencing other players. They're interviewed. Uh, people are mixing, and, and you see footage of both of them together. And so I really liked that aspect of it. I just think once I got to the Empire State and I made that, it was so obvious, like... What I could do right. and maybe I should have done that a little bit earlier, but I don't regret it. I think all of it is It's was all a learning process any challenges
0: for your for obviously for the kicker series versus the the original doc is there anything that That you came across where you're like, well, I can't believe this is being done this way or I'm doing this that way any What were the differences that you may have noticed when it came to I mean editing aside because obviously you're getting better at that but and, and your, storytelling, your storytelling is getting better, too. But anything that you noticed in between the two series before you got to, your, to the other one?
1: It, it taught, I think the biggest thing I noticed and the biggest like, thing I learned through doing those was you're putting all of your money on an individual being able to like, talk really well for 15 minutes or you know, an hour when I'm interviewing them. And the guys that I got were great. But it's, it's like just their perspective, and that, and that was sort of a concern of mine going into it. Uh, there are a couple episodes where multiple people are interviewed, and that was like really big. But the thing I always wanted to avoid was only having sort of one perspective. And right. ultimately, I sort of fell into that trap because <laughs> the Malachi and T.T. Tolliver ones are one perspective. But uh, besides that— It's a different story, though. Well, I'm going to—it's a different story. That's a different type
0: of story, though. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a different type of story. And for those, I think it was warranted to do it that way. Yeah. Um, but I think it just taught me a lot about doing like a series and how to sort of intertwine things and and how to get certain things out of people that might not be super comfortable just like putting a camera in front of their face and learning how to finesse interviews. And I actually really liked the interviews from The Kicker because those guys were willing to like work with me and open up a little bit over time. And, uh, and they were really excited to do it. And everybody was always really excited to do it, so that wasn't always a problem. But um, I think all the stuff I learned from editing the kicker contributed to why I think that the fifty-yard short series are better. It's like everything you do, you take another step up.
0: Right. Any at any other time, do you, uh, was the kicker series going to be about something else, or uh, or had you all always been dead set on on doing the kicker series
1: next? That was definitely just a decision that I had made. Like I was saying before, like my, my mode is I make that decision yeah. and then I just like do it. And so that's exactly what I did. I contacted the four kickers that I wanted to use or feature and I just did it. But while I was probably three, three episodes in, that was when I started thinking maybe I, maybe I could have made the kicker one story. And I still think about that a lot. Like, could I edit that into just like a half hour documentary or something? But, um, was this the right thing to do over four episodes? I was thinking about that, but at the beginning it was always going to be, let's do this about kickers. Yeah.
0: Um, then, uh, I, what I would probably say is your biggest break. Cause at the time, um, you know, you haven't, everybody sh- should know your name from the original series. And then what you did with the kicker series, um, you're on a weekly podcast during the season. We had, you know, we introduced, you know, uh, John Stark also, who is will be uh, helping you in the in the future when it comes to some of these uh these new documentaries mm-hmm. um how did the idea for the 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 empire state one come about i mean was it just all of a sudden a light bulb went off or just thinking about how your history went from the original to where you went to the kicker to i need to do something else that's big that people will continue to watch obviously
1: yeah Yeah. it was it was the latter it was it was thinking i need to keep going bigger and i need to keep uh getting this content richer and have more perspectives in it and thinking beyond the game films because the game films was predominantly what i was doing the kicker was a lot of work and a big project but the game films were sort of like my direction going forward right and so i was thinking about the 2017 season and thinking or 2018 season, sorry. Yeah, 2017 was all game films. And, and honestly, just to double back on that for one second, yeah. the, the Philadelphia Soul winning the Arena Bowl while I was filming them the entire season was, I, I have to say, it was one of the b- best experiences of my life by far. I mean, it was unbelievable being in that locker room, you know, getting doused with champagne mm-hmm. after spending a whole year with them. Like that cranked up my enthusiasm and passion for this. Up to maximum levels I was just like whoa okay so this is what I can this is what it can feel like when things sort of come together and not only that but the team and the players were so into it they were speaking to the camera more than they had in the past you know I was getting a lot more attention from the players every single game right and that was making the content way better and then we went to the the parade where the after the Philadelphia Soul won, and they showed the film at the parade, and and Darius Money Reynolds introduced me, uh, and it was just like, what <laughs> is happening? This is amazing, and so honestly, that's part of why I was like, okay, now I need to keep going. I need to keep going up, and so the Empire State was such a natural fit because it was this great story and this really emotional story. Like that, that's the thing I'm always trying to find: what's the emotion? And so having this team that was ripped away from the fans that cared so much about it, which is not always the case with AFL teams. Yeah, You know, a really diehard fan base and getting back in touch with, you know, a journalist that knew me when I was back there in 2009 interviewing players. And I was like, I emailed him and he was like, yeah, I'll do it and get his perspective, reach out to Eddie Brown, get his perspective, coach Keefe, go into the, it was so cool to go to the, the empire's front office you know, before they had ever played a game and, and talking to Bo Bell and catching up with him because he was with the soul yeah. and before. And so all those pieces made sense. And I, and I was so familiar with that situation and familiar with the people that I was going to be talking to. It made it so much easier to gel that all together. And so I was so excited about it. And it, I think it, it sort of shows how into it I was. Oh, for sure. Now, when it when it comes to these things, obviously, uh, you had your original
0: documentary, you, you, obviously, the game films, are the game films, but I would still separate your arena arena ball game films separately, obviously, yeah, because they're yeah, the, some they're they're telling a, st- a bigger story, yeah. than your kicker series. Now, are you the type of writer director where you you know everybody hears about storyboarding, and I, and, 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 and as an example. Do you write the stuff down, Ben? That something pops into your head, saying, "Okay, I want to do this, this, this." Because being a director, as you are, there has to be some sort of of layout. I'm sure of how you're going to 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 do a particular series or a particular film. Are you that type of director that you did you just you do this for all these series?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially for uh, like the Empire State or Strap City, where you have multiple people. Talking yeah, and so you need to know when you're asking them specific questions How they're gonna guide into what another person is saying in a different interview And you you need to really think about the map of how this is all gonna play out when it finally is in the edit And so with the Empire State I was very specifically asking questions that were relevant to certain topics for certain people and then they would piggyback on what someone else was saying and sort of the ability to weave that all together it can't just happen magically. So you really need to put all the pieces sort of down on a table, write out you know four or five different interviews, and then start editing those interviews to to mix them together to to make it a cohesive thing. Right. So certainly with you know even with Malachi, which was one person talking, I was still thinking, how are we telling this story? Is it linear? Are we showing? You know, are we cutting back to the past? Are we cutting to the future? How are we doing it? And um, yeah, so it, it's. It depends on, on the piece, but definitely I'm one of those guys. Not much scripting. It's, I mean, it's not, it's
0: not reality TV, but there's there's (laughs) not much scripting to it, I guess. I mean, because as I said, you have, you have an idea in your mind of what you want to do. Obviously you're basing on what the players or your interviewers are going to say. Right. Um, Have you, during any, any of this time during your series for the 50 yard series, uh, were you ever thrown for a loop? About uh-huh. something That's that was said or, or how can you work it into an interview or because they said you've the the, the 50 yard game film aside, everything else was kind of scripted. Did any, anything really surprise you at any point where you're saying, huh, I never thought about that. Yeah. Or, or was, how are you going to work it in?
1: Yeah, there was a really interesting moment in the T.T. Tolliver interview where a, a very key piece to his story is what occurred that extracted him from the NFL essentially and, and forced him onto the path of the AFL. And it was something he wasn't comfortable talking about. So he mentioned it, but I had to cut it out. And so I was thinking, Oh geez, how am I going to make this leap? And so that I, I don't even exactly remember how I did it, but it was one of those things where you just have to fit the puzzle pieces together in some other way or use voiceover to, to guide it in some other direction. And that is, a, definitely an element where scripting comes into play, which is like, where do you script certain elements for VO? I, I decided not to use voiceover for more, most of the 50 yard shorts. Um, actually I don't think, Oh yeah, there was like a, a short voiceover for the empire state, but basically right. no voiceover, um, for a lot of it. And so, you know, if you're not using voiceover, you need the person's voice, their own voice to guide you to the next topic. And so th- that was always the trick. That was always the, the game I was ha- I had to play was how do I get him to say something that is going to segue us into the next idea?
0: Okay. Now, uh, I, I I know the story when it comes to uh, to the Empire State uh, documentary. And I at least want you to, to be able to tell the story again because I remember – I'm trying to remember where you and I were and you told me about how you were able to get your interview with Eddie Brown – Oh my god! And uh, it's it's huge for you because uh, you know myself only meeting him, you know at the at the last arena bowl in 2019. That was my first time meeting him. But yeah, your story is a hell of a lot better than what mine was. <laughs> tell tell who those who don't know the story. Tell us a story about how you found out about especially because he's I guess obviously he's such an integral part in the, your story. Right? Exactly. Empire State. How, yeah,
1: how did, so, so, tell Tell us your
0: story about Eddie Brown and how you got to find out that you were going to interview him
1: yeah so in the weeks building up to the first game that the Empire had played I had already been to Albany I interviewed Coach Keefe I interviewed Bo Bell I interviewed Mark McGuire the journalist not the baseball player and so the other element to this that was such a major element to this was Eddie Brown and so I knew Eddie was going to be at the home opener but it was unclear how we were going to wrangle him because he was not living in Albany. So it wasn't like I could go and go to his house. So that was a big logistical concern, especially because of the time constraints of his arrival into the town and his departure after the game. And so I told the team, I was like, I really need this interview. And luckily the team, you know, despite really not knowing me, some of those people were like taking me very seriously. I was like, I need this interview. And, uh, so I was, like, texting with Jordan, who was running the media for, for the Empire, and at, at the day of the game, John and I are down there. John's doing some photography for the game, and I was shooting it, and we're sitting in, uh, like, a bar eating wings because we are so hungry. Or we ordered wings yeah. Yeah. <laughs> before the game because we were, like, pre-gaming. Thinking this Eddie Brown interview is just not happening. I I was like, I'll make the best of it. I'll figure something out. I'll use more of Coach Keefe's interview or use Bo Bell. And I was just a little bit down about it, but I was very excited for the game. Suddenly I get this text, Eddie Brown's available right now. And we were like, oh, my God, fuck. So we, like, get up. We tell the waitress, I'm so sorry. You have to cancel our order. We run run out of the plate. We're literally running to the parking garage because we have a very short window of time. And you tell me, I
0: I was in the arena at the time and you texted me. I think I was on my way to the game. So
1: we're like, we're, we're, we're running to go to Eddie. We're running, we're we're carrying. I can't tell you how heavy all this camera equipment and lighting equipment is. We carry a full lighting rig, everything we need for the interview in our arms. We're swinging it around, going to the hotel room. Both of us are like dying, sweating. We're just like totally out of it. And, uh, they're like, all right, Eddie's down here for you. He's, in his suit. He guides us upstairs. I'm like, I can't believe what's happening. We're in the elevator with Eddie Brown right now. <laughs> How is this real? And it's funny like I never I never get nervous about meeting people in the yeah. AFL. I think I was so desensitized to it at a young age. I never really felt nerves about anything. Yeah. Um I just felt at home around people in the AFL, so I never really thought about it, but this interview, for some reason, <laughs> I was, I was nervous because I didn't know what Eddie's energy was. Like, I, I I always know more or less what people's energies are. And that's such a major part of interviews. And so Eddie was very serious. When we first met him, he was like, Hey, man, like, how you doing? Like, it, it was it was sort of monotone wasn't much in his eye that was like, Hey, I'm actually excited to do this. It w- it looked like maybe something he just wanted to get over with. And so we get up to the hotel room. I'm like frantically rigging this stuff. We're in this incredible hotel room and he's, he's off, I think talking to Antonio Brown, the next room over. And so John and I are just like, what is happening right now? I can't believe this is happening. And he sits down, we start doing the interview, uh, midway or something. I, I start talking sort of off script about my experience with, uh, with Albany and he just suddenly his demeanor and his his entire disposition completely changes He's like so much more excited now. Yeah, it's like Eddie really 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 values fans And he didn't know that I was a fan or someone that was truly passionate about the afl Until I made it more clear to him because we had such little time to talk about it And from that point he really gave me like incredible sound bites. totally we left that interview just thinking, oh, my God, the whole, the documentary was just made right there. Like that mm-hmm. – without his pieces, without his emotion, without him like crying essentially on camera.
0: It was very close, yes.
1: Yeah. You can really feel it. And the footage – I mean even fast-forwarding to the game when he's getting out of that car and he's like waving to the fans. I was just like, oh, my God, this footage is so good. <laughs> Like, you can rarely have a second to even think that while you're shooting because you just have to be so focused. But seeing Eddie waving in the crowd, chanting, Eddie, Eddie, I was so emotional holding this camera, trying to like keep my composure. It's just stunned at what I'm seeing and the emotion that's being expressed, you know, by everybody. And all of that was so important to the documentary. Um, it just, that's part of why I look back on it and think, damn, that was really one of my favorite things I ever made in my life. And it might, I might go to the grave thinking that.
0: I, well, I was kind of about to ask you, compared to the experience that you had with the soul at the arena bowl and going to the locker room and getting sprayed with champagne,
1: <laughs> how, how, is, is still the Eddie Brown thing higher than that? That's a really good question. Um, I would say that they are similar experiences. I think I was feeling different things. They were both sort of birthed out of nostalgia. Like the the feeling of filming Eddie Brown and and the crowd being swept up and me being Mm. swept up. Like that was a very unique emotion to my life experience. And so was being in that soul locker room, because when I was in that locker room, I was sort of experiencing vicariously through the players, what it was, what it would have been like if the dragons had won the arena bowl or if all the dreams I ever had for all the teams I love to win a championship and sort of my entire love sports was so baked into that feeling like I don't think that feeling can really be topped it was such like a unique high (laughs) you're you're interviewing a legend yeah yeah but the the soul stuff was was just a a unique burst of of energy that only is topped by future times being in those locker rooms but that one was really special um, for sure Um, talk about how did you come up with the
0: the other ideas for the for the 50 yard shorts the, the Malachi story the the TT story etc
1: yeah the so strap city which was the soul players i felt was kind of an important story because not a lot of people think of defense when they think of the AFL and i wasn't necessarily going to make something about AFL defenses but this soul squad was so special and these are guys that I knew so well at that point. I was like, well, this is an easy topic. <laughs> like, like, this is something that I feel like I could just bang out. And so, you know, I spent a day with them in their apartment. It was so funny going to, like, the Seoul uh, uh, housing area and, and just, like, spending a full day with them. It was great. And I sort of just knew I was going to get good stuff from, like, Lurico Stevenson because, like, obviously – and James Romain. I mean, they're going to say something amazing. So that one, that one was not that hard to come up with. Uh, The TT one was really interesting because uh, I knew I wanted to do something on the fact that he was the oldest position player in professional football. Like, that's such an interesting topic. Yeah. Uh, And and so there was so much to mine there. And he was someone who I didn't know at all, unfortunately. Like, I just didn't know TT at all. And so that was a great experience coming to meet him. The Malachi one was similar to the soul thing where it was like, here's this young star who might be in the NFL by the time I release this. And so Malachi is such a great guy, really supports what I'm doing. And that sort of like synergy of him really loving it and me loving him as a person and player and like an icon in the AFL, it just was like, ah, this is a simple math. You just got to do it.
0: What what were the one things that you did differently from each of the different levels of the 50-yard shorts? Because, you know, we, we talk about, the Malachi one dude you used a drone so yeah, <laughs> yeah. so oh what, my God. what what were the differences that you wanted to put into it, it cuz as a director obviously you have different ideas what was the did you want to make sure that you added one new thing to each of the new shorts
1: yeah certainly i was always sort of thinking of what spin can i put on this without breaking style because i i established a style yeah. and i was really really wanted to stick with it. I actually didn't because uh, the the first three have this very clean black background for the interviews. And for Malachi, like you were saying, by the time that I was shooting that, I was so in with the Empire and I was so in with the AFL as a league that I was like, I just got to take advantage of this. We're going to sit at center field and do this interview there. Like, there's a certain point where you have to, like, start making some concessions because there's just potential there. Like if I could fly a drone in an arena, (laughs) I'm going to fly a drone in an arena exactly. with Malachi running and flying a drone behind him, trying not to kill him with the blades. Um, There was definitely always that thought. And another thing that I was always thinking about, at least in the first three episodes was how can I use certain, uh, that's actually something I didn't mention. How can I use certain elements of each within each other? Right. So, when I was shooting the Empire State, which was the first one I shot, I already knew in my head that I was going to do Strap City and something on TT. So I asked Bo Bell a question about TT Tolliver. I asked James Romain about TT. Smart. Um, yeah. And I asked, uh, Keith about the soul defense. Like it, it, it gave me a lot to work with because it gave me these really nice crossover moments in those first three episodes where I can really tie them together. And, that's just something as someone that just sort of grew up with TV and loving the interlocking of stories and narratives as you know big lost guy um, yeah <laughs> like that's something I just always wanted I wanted the cohesiveness and I wanted everything to feel like it's in one family and so I think in the end we did get there even though the Malachi one is definitely bigger um before we talk about you know the end of
0: the 2019, 20, 2019 season obviously I want to know about how how did these stories uh compared to the reaction to the to the original i mean it's i I don't as a you know as a director there's only certain you can base things on you know what you see on on the you know either on imdb or or on rotten tomatoes or stuff like that you know how they're going to rate your or in these days it's your views going through your entire series of everything that you've done are you are you happy with the reaction that has gotten overall the eyes that people have seen it the the people across the world that have seen your films now? Are are you are you happy with with how they all came out and how, how the reactions were?
1: Yeah, I think that growing up like making videos and making movies and making commercials and stuff. I mean, this is not everyone's motivation. But for me. You want a captive audience. Like there's something very compelling about you're not just telling a story into a void, you're telling a story to people. It's that connection that you're having with the viewer. And some people are like, I don't give a shit about the viewer. Like, I'm making what I want to make. And sometimes you see some stuff that is pretty bad because I didn't think about that. But <laughs> yeah. uh, my my thought has always been, I want that audience. I want to connect with an audience. And something that 50-yard dash gave me in such a rich way for you know five years was a captive audience. It was uh, uh, the players who cared every week what, what I was doing. It was the fans that tuned into these episodes and watched them and, and reacted and told me what they thought about them. And the Instagram account, which is like a whole separate thing kind of, yeah. which was posting every single day posting, getting thousands of views on there, You know sometimes in one day, and having genuine... Co- like interactions every single day on that platform, it made it so worth it. I mean, it—that's the thing. Like, I could have made fifty-yard dash. It could have got some. Like, hey, this was great, whatever. And then I could have moved on. But what I would have missed out on was the depth of the connection that I made with so many people because I was talking to them every single day and they were reacting to what I was doing every single day. Yeah. And honestly, that's just something that I've always dreamed of. So, there was some super highs like. The Empire State, when that released, I felt the power of the the entire organization behind that. They made a press release. They pushed it. They pushed it hard. They notified media outlets about it. It was like the most I've ever seen some organization really try to get eyes on it, and a lot of people watched it, and it felt so good because I felt so uh, passionate about that one story. And then, you know, fast-forwarding a bit, um, Getting this shit on ESPN. I, I mean, to ask, yeah, yeah, that was that was that was the pinnacle of everything to me, and 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 it's crazy that it happened in the last season. It's crazy that it happened with basically days left in the life of the AFL. But the eve of the Arena Bowl, finding out that they're going to air the Malachi documentary and the Empire State in sort of this like truncated, edited form on ESPN was just like insane i mean it it was it was the it was it it was it was so many people watching hundreds of thousands of viewers it was everything you'd ever want the afl to that point had been heavily promoting what i was doing and it just felt like boom it finally happened and for the league to go away right after that could be looked at from two perspectives much in the way you could look at it from two perspectives when the dragons folded which is like am i extremely depressed about this because this thing I loved and was going so well is now gone or do I actually feel very thankful that I got to experience the highest of highs that I could have possibly experienced doing this with the AFL because I think this was the peak of what I could have experienced doing this with the AFL and feel so gratified that that happened you know in the final game essentially of the season and and of the league's history so that's my takeaway. I always think, I always think about that. It, it was really one of the best things that's happened to me. I think in, in terms of like things I've been passionate about really paying off. You got pretty good too
0: when it came to your editing because your fifty your your fifty yard game tapes usually would take a couple of days, and by the end you were you knocked out the arena bowl thirty two one <laughs> in, in less than. I think it was less than thirty-six hours, and yeah, yeah, doing a lot of it, you know, while you know, doing a lot of it while heading home,
1: yeah, yeah, uh, from from the game itself, heading back home. So it's, yeah, we got this system down by the uh, by that last year where I would drive to the game, Lauren would drive back, and I honestly so thankful that she did this while I had dosed on Dramamine so I wouldn't like get nauseous editing in the car on the way back have you know five social media clips ready to post sending them to the league so that they could share them on Instagram and Twitter while basically pulling out selects from the game to make the edit get home you know being awake till 6am yeah. from the previous night's game just getting going hard and like I love that feeling of just going so hard because I you know it's it's I'm doing what I love and I'm doing it to the max like it's like being on steroids and with the with the final film the arena bowl game film I had so many ideas about how I wanted to structure it. And so I got a lot of people, yourself included, Mm -hmm. to contribute their voices. And I did this pre-edit of the intro, and I did all the graphics ahead of time. And this pre-edit, which includes a sequence at the beginning that sort of has a summation of the season and some of the best highlights of the season, I really like that because that's the final 50 r dash thing that I made, and it feels very fitting and very, like, holistic because it, it contains so much stuff and, and contains so much of 2019. And I think that it's maybe the cleanest thing I made, uh, honestly, like, possibly. I don't know. You might disagree. But in terms of, like, front to back, it's just like a powerhouse of content. Like, it's, it's just my best stuff packed into one thing. And so I love kind of that I left it on, on that note. It, it is, and but I, but as I said, I, I, as I said earlier,
0: I think each of each of these different type of films that you did, they all are in their own kind of, you know, their, their own, space. Yeah, than others true, because sure, sure. yeah, because to me, it all began with the original documentary, and yeah. then from there, I would probably go Empire than Malachi. But it's a tough two-three. It's a very for me. Right. It's a very tough two-three. Um. Game films, I will agree with you. Uh, 30, your Arena Bowl thirty two one, I think, is the top one because of how you did it. I mean, bringing in the you, you know the the mirrored look at the very beginning of, oh, of the logo, you know, of your logo itself. I mean, it's you, you grew obviously you grew from, from the first one mm-hmm. to the last one. Um, looking at your entire history of the fifty yard series. Is there any one thing that you may have had planned and you didn't do, or there was an idea that you wanted to do, but you never got to do it?
1: I I think that the the thing is, it's a feature length documentary. Like That was when I first started, what I thought my plan was. I thought I was going to release this. I mean, this is not my plan, but this is sort of what I was hoping. The league would be like, we really like this. We'll keep pushing this and hopefully maybe fund some sort of documentary. Now at the time, I don't think I really understood what that meant. What that would have meant was the league was sort of making a commercial. And in retrospect, I don't think I would have really liked that. Um, But the thing that I think I left on the table with the AFL is something that's like a feature length film. The, The reason that I couldn't ever have logistically pulled that off was because I would have had to have essentially thrown away my career for a year and traveled the country interviewing people uh licensing footage doing a lot of like really expensive things to to make something that possibly would have had no return on money so like that was the reason I didn't do it but when I look back on it I think that's the one thing that I j- didn't do right. and so that I thought maybe I was gonna do when I first started did you
0: even know at, at the current time that we're doing this during this interview you know the league as far as we know is not going to come back but Did you ever think of doing one? Because you said you you looked at the kicker. You looked at the the different people within the league itself. Did you ever think of doing one on the fans, on particular fans, or or a group of fans that you might be able to go back and do a retrospect on the league itself?
1: Well, I mean, I I think I was thinking about it when the news first dropped, but I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying about having a captive audience. Right. I think at a certain point, where you're no longer necessarily appealing to the same people you were appealing to and no longer maybe making something for the audience you once had, um, with something like 50 Yard dash, which is so much work. It's so hard. and like, I loved it, but it was so hard to do. Uh, like it's, it's hard to invest that much energy into something that you don't think is necessarily going to have maybe even personal returns. So right. my thought at the moment is that I'm probably completely done with doing any AFL content besides maybe occasionally posting something on Instagram and then doing the hall of fame stuff with you. Yeah. Uh, um, but the, I think the, the, the door that is still open is possibly doing something with like the NAL or the IFL for fun. Like I, like I right. wouldn't be taking it too seriously anymore. Um, especially where I'm at just with my career and stuff. I, I don't, it's amazing that I even was able to pull off 50 yard dash, but I mean, it stretched me so thin. (laughs) It was like, I mean, I was working like 30 days a week, basically, like doing this. Yeah, And, and, you know, I was like, at one point I I was like at the hospital for exhaustion. Like I I went all the way with it and I'm really, really proud of that energy that I put into it. But like, it's hard to even imagine doing, dipping back into it. Like I feel, I feel very positive about how I left it. And so I don't necessarily feel like. I want to open that door again for something that might not be the same quality. What's one thing do you wish you had done better? Hmm. One thing I, I, I think, I think I wished I had maybe made more stuff. I I don't think I could have even possibly done it, but if I'm looking back on it, I wish I had maybe, I mean, I made probably 25, 30 different videos, <laughs> which is actually a lot. <laughs> Um it's really it is a lot, but something that the league and I have been talking about we had this like really long conversation about what the future of fifty r dash could be before the twenty nineteen season or uh maybe even right after the twenty eighteen season we were talking about like what could this be and I was talking with John Adams and he was suggesting that we create this system where there's people in every city uh fifty r dash is sort of like the production house you are producing it. Um, You're, like, in charge of these teams of people and basically building out the concept of the game film and the short documentaries into a weekly series that's being handled by multiple teams of people and as me, like, overseeing it. And so that was, was like, a possibility at one point. And, like, we did the budget. We literally made budgets. Like, we were pretty far into, like, flushing it out. And so I think if I could have done something better, it would have been... Progressing that further, covering more teams and more cities before the league contracted. And uh, that's something that I think if I, that's something I think I could use in the future if I was to approach another league. Like, here's what I was thinking of doing. Here's what I did. I think we could grow from here.
0: You surprised me there with a story that I had never heard.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I ever told you that.
0: Um, is there another story that I may know or may not know? Is there another story that you're able to tell about a, any particular thing, uh, an experience that happened to you, uh, besides Eddie Brown stuff, et cetera? But I mean, is there anything else? A story that you are able to tell uh, that uh, that people might find interesting when it came to uh, how it how you did what you did? Obviously,
1: mm, let me think for one second. Uh...
0: I mean, because I can only think of what it was like in the locker room after the arena bowl, your first arena bowl when you're taping that. I mean, I'm sure there were stories galore that you can't tell, you know, like <laughs> right. like, like, like certain players. They don't want to tell certain stories, et cetera, et cetera. Anything, yeah. Anything that comes to mind? Um, I'm trying to think. Or is the John Adams one it? <laughs>
1: uh, well, yeah, I mean, that that was that was like really interesting because we were really talking about the future of the AFL and what we could do with this brand. And basically the following season I was reached out to, but I mean, this was a pretty big moment for me when I was in Columbus ready to shoot that game film. Columbus is back, you know, return, yeah. returned to Columbus and, and there for the destroyers game. And my phone starts ringing while I'm shooting at Ohio state, like getting B roll. And it's, um, you know, it's someone from the league saying like, Hey, this year we want to do something official. I was like, Whoa. Okay like finally, (laughs) you know, that was, that was a big moment for me. That was a big moment for all of this. This is what I always wanted to happen. And it was, it was a call where we were literally talking about money. Like we, we got down to details. I was standing on this lawn in front of Ohio state talking with the AFL about them licensing my footage and, uh, publishing my content. It was like, it was like someone had finally woken up and, and decided to, talk seriously with me about this after you know besides john adams who was always in my in my camp and so as the season went on there were some delays in that project but it really picked up steam later in the season and into the playoffs where i was really like making league for the content i mean sorry making content for the league (laughs) (laughs) and um and then monumental sports called me completely separate group of people and they were like can we buy your footage And I was like, what? And they said, yeah, like, you have a lot of footage, right? Like, can we buy it? We're, we're like, doing packages for for the streaming platform. We need content. And I was like, oh, my God. I was, like, looking at my hard drives thinking, the amount of footage on this stuff. What do they want from me? How much do they want to pay for it? It was very awkward because they – Monumental wasn't willing to pay – what I thought it was worth for these like four years of extremely hard effort I put into gathering all this stuff. But at the same time, it's like, I don't want to let down these people who are finally opening the door to me. It was like, it was, it was a tough situation to be in, but as a result of that deal, which was separate from the deal with the AFL, that was what got my stuff streaming on ESPN three when that first started happening. So separate yeah. from the sports center thing, this was the, the content that was airing like at halftime. And, and so that was like a major deal for me. Like it was really difficult to get through that. It was, it was awkward and, and, and required a lot of thinking. Like, how am I going to approach this from a business perspective? Yeah. Um, but ultimately it all, it all worked out and I'm really glad I didn't like say, I don't want to do this cause it's not enough money. Like in the end it was worth what it was worth it to me, which was finally getting my stuff out there to the most people possible, and so you know from a business from a business perspective, that was one of the most interesting yeah. things that transpired um,
0: we we know what happened at the end of 2019 um, how how hard did you take how hard was how hard did it t- did it hit you uh, that the leak folded and it's very possible that it may that it may never come back.
1: It's, it's, it's really interesting feeling. Um, I remember the feeling in 2008 when it happened and the like way that I spiraled because I was like so upset about that and I was younger and less emotionally equipped to deal with something like that where it's like your favorite thing is gone, you know, it felt like a death. And so I was like, oh my God, you know, I was so depressed. And so jump forward to now, I had already been through that experience. I already felt those things before and Every single day I spent around the afl. I was thankful that it existed because I knew that at any moment It could go away every time a commissioner changes hands every time a team folds every time something happens that's a little bit suspect your next thought is the league could fold at any second and so I spent all my time shooting 50 yard dash being very thankful for what I had and being uh, very and focusing on putting out the most effort possible because of that, and so when the league announced it was, you know, it was being sued and and that it was going to suspend operations and then ultimately fold, a part of me like knew that was going to happen somehow. It, it was like a part of me was already ready for that news, and so I, I didn't necessarily think, "Wow, my life is over." In the same way that I thought that, you know, fifteen years before, it was just that I'm ready for this. Um, this is obviously depressing and everyone's gonna have to pick up the pieces. And I felt as an adult that was now earning money and living a life where that's really important, I was now like much more focused on the players and what had happened to the players because these people's careers were just torn from them. And the best opportunity they had to make money playing professional football, probably for most of them is gone. And so it was a much more like mature perspective that I had on it now. Yeah. And so those were sort of all the things that were swirling around to me. I mean, I think we were both sort of thinking the same things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Now, obviously I know you didn't win a championship. You came very close to winning a championship cause you were, you're, you're part of, of, of media that finally got his, his, his due. If finally, yeah. <laughs> you, finally you were recognized for what you were doing. Um, it, it took a, as you said, it took a, a front office to finally see that, um, and, and a transparent front office to do that. but, Out of everything that you have physically, as a fan all these years, what's the one physical item from the AFL that you own that you'll always look at and remember the league fondly?
1: That is such a good question, Tim. That is such (laughs) a good question. I I have a lot of stuff, obviously, from the AFL, but something that comes to mind— Hmm. Let me think about it for a second. There's, there's a couple jerseys that I guess I, I'll pick two jerseys that okay. I could pick up. So one of them is Billy Parker's home game use Jersey from the dragons that he sent me. Um, and that one is so important because Billy Parker was such a star to me. I, I mean, I, I and he, and I know he was to anyone at the time. A lot of people probably don't even remember Billy Parker now. Uh, if you're, if you're not a fan of the CFL, but he was a major defensive star in the AFL and was really like the face of the franchise for the dragons besides Aaron Garcia. And so having his Jersey from that period, while I did get that later, um, that, that, that's very important to me. And then the other thing that I immediately comes to mind is a ball, uh, a game use ball that Terry Moss, who was a dragons receiver in 2008 gave me for my birthday. And it's signed by the whole team. And, you know, as a whatever, however old I was when he gave it to me, it was like such a meaningful thing to be given. Like to get a gift back from the AFL, like to not only be putting so much in, but to get like a token back was so, uh, it just exemplified what the AFL was from like an emotional perspective for me. So I still have that. I mean, I still have it out because it's such a, it's such a sweet thing that they did. They saw this kid that was like making cards for them and making videos and podcasts and stuff. And they were like, we should give him something for his birthday. That's just like, it's just, you know, these big tough guys playing football thought to do that. And that's just, I mean, that's one of my favorite mementos from anything really, I think. And then one last shout out, my Rodney Filer Jersey, which I wore to every Dragons game. I will never forget the experience of wearing a Jersey that's supposed to have pads in it. That's really tight around my midsection. (laughs) 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 <laughs> that and that's
0: that's the plus. That, you know the, what we loved about the AFL on 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 what the team would do for somebody, and and I think that your your memorability that you have that's perfect, dude. That that really is. And, and I'm, um, I'm I'm glad you're able to, to to tell us about that. Um, yeah. Finally, um, and I've asked this question quite a bit throughout the series uh, of the historical pockets that we're doing. Um, but I, I I would like to ask you if somebody were to come up to you in let's say the next five to seven years or whatever it may be and ask you specifically about the arena football league. Say you're wearing your filer jersey. Yeah. And and somebody asks you a question about the arena
1: football league, how would you how would you explain it to them? I would say that the Arena Football League was one of the most unique and intimate professional sports leagues that ever existed because it was A little engine that was attempting to operate on a national scale and so it had players and people and fans from all over the country and all over the world as a result it wasn't some local organization and it brought an incredible amount of people together as a result of that and it was a league that was focused on connecting the game to the people that were watching the game and in those bonds formed something that no one else can touch. The walls that were separating the field from the stands weren't there separating the people from the players. They were just for safety. And it was truly this connection that the players had with the fans and that the teams and the communities had together. So, uh it was the little engine that could. And in many ways it was it was like a cockroach after an apocalypse. It kept surviving. <laughs> and you know, every time it came back, you found a different way to love it in a different way. And uh, I will never forget all the various experiences that I have with the AFL because they definitely made me who I am today.
0: We'd like to thank Ben for joining us on this episode of AFL Rewind. If you want to see any of his work, you can head over to his website, and especially the uh, the 50-yard dash series that he shot for the Arena Football League. If you head over to fraternale.com, that's F-R-A-T-E-R-N-A-L-E.com, you can see all of his work, including that documentary series that he did produce. If you want to catch up on any of the episodes you may have missed from this historical series, there are a couple of places where you can do that. If you head over to SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and the audio version over on YouTube. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions on who you'd like to have on future episodes, you can email us at aflrewind at arenafan.com. And for everybody here at AFL Rewind, I'm Tim Capper. Watch the rebound off the net.